Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be with you, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. With me in the studio here is my buddy, Jim Shorney. Good morning. Jim, how's the coffee? Coffee's great. Thank you, Scott. This time I remembered to turn the pot on. Excellent. Last week, folks, we, uh, I made coffee at home, and I came out to dash to the studio and put the coffee, of course, in the, uh, in the thermos. I hadn't turned the coffee maker on. So <laughs> this week we got it done, and it's, it's, it's great. It's Jack Reacher coffee, and uh, so we're going to wake up along with you folks out there. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to start out with uh, our special guest, Charlene, from the Capital Humane Society and Pet Talk, Dogs and Cats for Adoption. Then next up is In the Dark with Roseberry, and uh, that's a Paranormal Activities and Events update. And we've got uh, a live heart-centered meditation for the autumnal equinox with Marianne Baskin. Our main guest is Lynn Robinson. She's the author of the book, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. Without further ado, this is Charlene from the Capital Humane Society, always raising the intelligence quotient at least a couple of degrees, and there she is. Good morning. Charlene, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Any predictions for the, is it Michigan and Nebraska today? That sounds good. <laughs> I think I think we're going to win. I get, I get Michigan and Michigan State confused, so... But we're, we're up there at one of those schools, I think. It's an away game today. Up there in cheese country. Hey, I've got a prediction. We're going to have some great dogs and cats for adoption. Yeah. That sounds good. What's going on at the Capital Humane Society? Uh, we always are very busy. We have a lot of cats that need homes right now. So we hope if you're especially in the market for a new feline friend that you'll come to see us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center and consider adopting one of our very sweet cats. Um, we do have dogs and critters. We have other, uh, so sometimes people forget that we have other types of animals, and we actually have uh, quite a few guinea pigs and rabbits and a hedgehog for adoption right now. <laughs> uh, and you've got uh, East Stadium Skybox passes as uh, you, uh, something people can win through a raffle ticket. Right. So I, uh, that, that is a good question on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. It has details about how to enter that and um, what the rules are for that. Um, so you can just go to our website and check that out to see if it's something you are interested in. And you're looking for a animal care staff position person. Yes, we do mouthful. need great employees to help care for all these wonderful animals. So if you are interested in joining our team, um, again, you can go to our website, and we do have applications that you can fill out at either of our locations. Tails and, tra uh, uh, tails and Ties uh, Pet Walk. No, excuse me. Mm. <laughs> tails and Ties Dinner. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's a very fun and important event. It helps us to raise money to care for these animals. Um, it's going to be Friday, October 26th at the Cornhusker Hotel. There's a silent auction, a live auction. Um, it's just a lot of fun to meet other an uh, people who are animal-minded, who care about animal welfare. Um, so you can really help us by uh, joining us at the event. 
I'm Scott Colborn, and this is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. We've got cats and kittens up for adoption. Who do you want to pick and first? We have, yeah, we have so many cuties. Uh, when I went into the uh, page for our annual dinner, I lost the website, so I'm going to click back on that. Um, the first cat I was going to talk about is Cassie. And she has been here a while, but she has a new photo that kind of oh, shows wow. off her very cute and playful personality. <laughs> you can see she's got that curly little tail going and that very bright-eyed look. She's about two years old, a spade female. Uh, she does need to meet all children because she can be a little bit feisty. Um, but if you're looking for an independent and very playful friend, ask about Cassie. What a neat-looking cat. Uh-huh. Cat with a cool photo. And okay. that tail, it just, the coloring on that tail just literally sticks out from the body. Yep. Cassie's joined by? Goldie. Oh. And Goldie is a one-year-old fake female with medium fur. She hmm. is so pretty with her long white whiskers. Uh, looking for a great family that will take excellent care of her. And we do have great handouts also available on our website so um, people can learn to work with things like if they're scratching on the couch, how to redirect that to a scratching post. Um, so we have great handouts on how to take good care of your cats. Boy, if you folks want to see a cat with full intention, uh -huh. whatever the photographer is using to get <laughs> Goldie's attention is working, look at that expression. She is absolutely focused. Goldie's a beautiful cat. We've got Cassie, Goldie, and then there's... Whiskers. And Whiskers is gorgeous. He is a one-year-old neutered male, orange tabby, but just has the most beautiful markings. You have to come and see them in person to really appreciate them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's looking for a home with people who just love their tabbies and take excellent care of them. Now, he's a one-year-old, very handsome cat, and uh, we've got these cool nights. Last night, I think, it got down in the low 40s in Lincoln. My kind of weather, yeah, yeah. And uh -huh. any one of these cats would be a great lap warmer. For and, sure. Uh, just in a matter of weeks, you're going to appreciate that cat jumping up and warming your lap here. So we've got Cassie, Goldie, and Whiskers. And uh, these pictures of all these cats are up today at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Better yet, here's Charlene, and she'll tell you about hours open today and tomorrow. We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. Time for some dogs for adoption. Who do you want to pick first? We'll start with Jack because he's been here quite a while, so I wanted to give him another... Uh, spotlight on your show. So he's five years old, a lab, a neutered male, full of energy, just loves to play and walk, uh, is looking for a home without other dogs or cats, um, but he's so intelligent and he knows the right person is out there. And so we hope maybe it's one of your listeners today. A good looking dog. Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. And take a look at Jack's picture. He's waiting for you. Can we also... That red harness really stands out. Yeah, isn't that a good it's, uh, it's combination? A good, good look for him. Uh-huh. He's so proud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he knows he's sharp. Yeah. Uh. 
And what about Baby Girl? Let's talk about Baby Girl again. Yeah, thank you. She has a new photo up that shows just oh, how wow. intelligent she is. Look at her. Uh, really bright dog. Mm -hmm. No sit and down and is learn and leave it and is uh, pretty good at stay. And so she's very smart, looking for somebody that can work with her. Um, she's about two years old, a shepherd pit bull mix. Um, just really loves people that once she gets to know them. But sometimes she's a little timid about warming up. So she needs someone who's patient, who's experienced, dog savvy, um, and who doesn't have other dogs or cats. Mm -hmm. So take a look at this wonderful, um, wonderful photo. Baby girl's been out there, I believe, the longest of any dog. She's been out there since last December. And um, that length of stay is because she's been waiting for you. So somebody in the audience today, I would love to have you look at her picture, baby girl. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we came back next week and said that so-and-so went out and adopted baby girl. So we'd want to get that done today. Baby girl could be that great dog for you. Just as Mac the good dog was our choice, geez, 13 years ago, I think. Okay, we've got Jack, baby girl, and... Bandit, and Bandit is a three-year-old space female. She's a lab healer mix, a high-energy, smart dog, uh, looking for a home where she's going to get plenty of exercise and training. Uh, she does need some training, so she needs someone with the skills and time to work with her. Uh, she is also missing her right eye, so in her photo there you can see that. Um, but she gets along fine with her left eye and is full of energy and enthusiasm and knows the right family will be out there. Bandit could be the right dog for you. Three years old, spade female, Labrador, and blue healer. We've got Bandit, Baby Girl, and Jack. Go out and see these great dogs today or tomorrow. Here's Charlene with Hours Open. We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Okay, what are you doing for the rest of the day, Charlene? I will be here working, helping our volunteers, um, helping the animals and the customers. So we're looking forward to a busy and successful day. Okay, thank you so much for being out there, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for all you do. Have a great day. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society, making the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. And we're looking at the uh, Lister map, some of the streaming folks from all over the world. We got a couple of people, it looks like, over in Germany. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you're in the States or any place in the world, we appreciate you turning on the uh, radio, or probably in your case, if you're in Europe, the computer. We've got a great show for you. Coming up next is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, In the Dark with Rosemary. And Marianne Baskins then follows with a meditation for the fall equinox. And our main guest today is Lynn Robinson, the author of Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. Well, I've been busy lining up some new folks here as guests, and we're now working on January and February. Wow. We just signed up the dream expert Robert Moss, in January for Mysterious Realities, A Dream Traveler's Tales from the Imaginal Realm. And Peter David Haviland 
Also in January, first time guest, a private investigator, an advanced certified clinical hypnotherapist with 33 years in the business of parapsychology and forensic hypnosis. Jim, are you ready out there? Okay, Jim says to stall. So I will tell you more about some guests coming up here. Who's up next week? Our good friend Paula Harris. Paula's got the Starworks USA UFO Symposium that'll be taking place the first weekend of November in Laughlin, Nevada. And I'm going to be going out to that. We'll be doing a live show from Laughlin, Nevada. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Paula's the author of many, many books. She is a boots-on-the-ground journalist, and she goes places where there's stuff taking place, and she actually goes there and interviews people, not content just to sit behind a computer monitor. So she's our guest next week. All sorts of things just breaking we'll talk about with Paula Harris. Our good friend and colleague Rosemary Ellen Guiley is up next. And this is In the Dark with Rosemary. And where are you in New Jersey? I am in New Jersey this weekend, Scott. Uh, some fun things going on this weekend. Uh, right now I'm in uh, Kearney with uh, our very good friends, Carl and Suli Petri. Carl is a sure. psychic medium and, sure. and the author of Absent Witness. And tonight we're just having some fun at a party. It's the 20th anniversary of the New Jersey Ghost Hunter Society, which was founded by Laura Hladdick. And she thought it would be great to have a dinner dance fundraiser, and we're the guest of honor. Oh, isn't that cool? Hey, give my best to Carl. I enjoyed having him on the show, and uh, I was able to read his book. A quite remarkable, quite remarkable person. Uh, Carl really does have an astounding ability, and what we're discussing this weekend is uh, I'm publishing his second book, which is underway, and it's going to have even more interesting material in it. Um, we're, we'll be bringing in conversations with the CIA, some uh, shadow people cases, time slips. Uh, we've got a chapter on the Mothman um, episodes and the vortex that's in Point Pleasant, all kinds of things. So that'll be out probably sometime next year, probably about a year from now. Uh, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she's not only writing her own book, she's now publishing, and uh, I don't think she sleeps. Um, I got the uh, books that you just sent me, and I will be back in contact with you. Looks like some uh, great future programs coming up if we can get those people lined up. Well, I had, um, I had a great time out in Arizona. I attended and presented at the Afterlife Symposium out there. There were 700 people in attendance. And uh, George Norrie was there with his producer, Tom Danheiser. And yeah, you've heard of him. <laughs> and in fact, I was on George's show right before the conference started talking about uh, those new Afterlife books, Mysteries of the Afterlife and Contact with the Dead. Uh, I gave some presentations. I had Black Mirror workshops for contacting the dead, which uh, were completely sold out. I was um, very gratified at the response to that. People very interested in learning about how to use Black Mirrors. 
And the energy was so high at this event, uh, Scott. It was wonderful. Uh, all kinds of people from uh, all over the world. We had some uh, renowned mediums there, uh, researchers, uh, medical people, alternative therapies people, grief counselors, experiencers, uh, just coming together for a wonderful event to share knowledge and experience and learn more that we can take back out into the community. Why do you suppose there's interest in the afterlife? It's a combination of things. Uh, first of all, uh, we have um, an aging baby boomer population, uh, you know, big population bulge, which is now entering uh, senior years. And uh, these people are dealing with um, losing friends and family members and uh, perhaps even facing something catastrophic themselves. And that turns our attention to, well, what happens next? You know, what really happens? And maybe we, we've been taught certain things uh, by culture or religion about the afterlife, but still people want uh, something really concrete that will validate things for them. And uh, uh, then also there's the component of, um, you know, helping people make their transition as well. So uh, I, I think it's uh, a combination of factors. Now, there's always been interest in, in the afterlife, and it got ignited uh, in the 1970s when Raymond Moody published his groundbreaking book on near-death experiences, and he coined mm -hmm. that term. And since then, we've had an increase in attention to NDEs and afterlife studies on all fronts, even in the scientific community, and uh, it's escalated. I've been uh, active in the International Association for the Study of Near-Death, uh, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IANS, uh, at the chapter level, uh, giving uh, talks and uh, have presented at the, the national, and uh, it's a growing audience. Afterlife Symposium is the biggest uh, out there. Uh, there are others as well serving the uh, growing interest in this. And one of the reasons why, um, I'm sorry, you put a nickel in me. I just keep going, Scott. Uh, <laughs> I always <laughs> enjoy it. You've I, always got things to talk about. <laughs> well, what I wanted to mention that uh, this series that I'm doing for Fate, Fate Presents, mm -hmm which uh, these are anthologies of the best of fate on, on theme topics. And I, uh, I planned these two issues last year, um, Contact with the Dead and Mysteries of the Afterlife. There will be others on the topic because in every single issue of fate since 1948, Scott, fate has covered the afterlife. We, most people think of fate as the UFO magazine or the cryptid magazine, the paranormal magazine, and, and fate certainly cut its teeth on UFOs and, and all of those other topics. But the founders of fate, Ray Palmer and Curtis Fuller, instinctively knew that questions about the afterlife are ongoing and of primary importance to people. And so in every single issue, which now is 739 issues, wow. uh, fate has included uh, anecdotal stories or articles on uh, NDEs, on uh, views of the afterlife, scientific research, experiences. And uh, so I have collected uh, some of the best of those into these two volumes. So they span the history of fate from 1948 right up to the present. 
Uh, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and her website is visionaryliving.com. The companion website is visionarylivingpublishing.com. So what happens at a 20th anniversary ghost dance? Well, uh, maybe we'll even be joined by a few ghosts, you know. Uh, yes. We can always hope for some phenomena. But um, we're going to have a, a dinner, and uh, Carl and I will, will uh, make some uh, short um, uh, presentations. And uh, there's a raffle and some door prizes. Uh, there's a fundraiser for the Bon Jovi um, restaurant uh, that serves the homeless in Red Bank, New Jersey very worthy cause and uh, then we're going to break out some music and have some dancing well if i was a ghost looking for something to do on a saturday night that's that's where i would be i think that sounds like a lot of fun instead well, of lying around in the same old place huh <laughs> <laughs> right I, I was glad to see laura do this you know it's been 20 years and uh carl and i uh attended and spoke at one of her first conferences and uh, in fact, it was, in fact, we were at several of her conferences, and it was at one of them, which for me was historic, because I met John Zappas for the first time in person. Oh, sure. And from that meeting, John and I formed uh, a very close friendship and collaboration as well. So Laura's done a lot of uh, work in the community um, and uh, has been very active over the years. Now, I want to have a quick update before we end our segment with you, Rosemary, on, of all things, your Chinese liquor cabinet. Folks, if you haven't heard the saga, uh, Rosemary and Joe got this very, very, very ornate Chinese liquor cabinet. They brought it into their house, and phenomena started happening around that cabinet. Rosemary, give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of what's been going on with that. Well, the cabinet went dormant for a while. It was very active, and then it went quiet. And um, it's not unusual for objects uh, that have attachments to have that kind of pattern. Sometimes I think um, energy gets expended, and then something is needed to help build it back up, and it, it doesn't get enough energy. But... It was uh, whatever was attached to the cabinet was um, fiddling with the, the many door handles on the cabinet. It's got lot, lots of little cabinet uh, uh, openings in it. And it had the capability of turning the handles to even lock us out of, of some of the cabinets. Uh, we did have a little bit of activity a few months ago, but we have made some changes in the house. Um, we have... Um, in the interest of, of just kind of trimming our, our collections, which started to get a little too big and overrun the place, uh, we have gotten uh, rid of uh, some objects that we've collected, some paranormal objects we collected. In fact, I gave them John Zappas for his uh, haunted museum. And after they departed the house, the energy changed rather dramatically. And um, I'm wondering if actually something was 
um, more attached to one of those objects and just kind of diverted its attention to the cabinet when it came in uh, because we the house has been very quiet since then. We still have a fairy presence. The fairies are quite active on the property, and, and they do come into the house from time to time. But the overall, uh, what I would call low-level uh, poltergeist activity has uh, quieted down quite a bit. Okay, well, I hope that you and Joe have a great time tonight at the dinner and dance. In Rosebury, my friend, it's always good to team up with you. It's uh, always interesting to hear what you're up to. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I always love being on this show, and I just want to say hi to everyone out there. Happy fall autumnal equinox. That's right. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our special guest, she's with us every fourth Saturday with In the Dark with Rosemary. Sometimes we're lucky enough to have her as a full segment guest. Her websites are visionaryliving.com and visionarylivingpublishing.com. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. I think I'm going to take the bottom of the hour break now, and we'll be back with a heart-centered meditation with Marianne Baskin. Scott Colborn, Jim Shorney, Marianne Baskin, and you folks, we are Exploring Unexplained Hi dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436-2384. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And from... The Lincoln Symphony Orchestra presenting Ben Folds in concert with the Lincoln Symphony Orchestra on Friday, September 28th, 7.30 at the Lead Center. Tickets and more at lincolnsymphony.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called 
Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Vic comes up at 12 o'clock noon with Mesoterra. I'm Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and we've got Marianne Baskin in the studio here. Marianne, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Um, <laughs> what do you do in Lincoln? What's your profession or avocation? Well, for the past 30-some years, I've been um, a mental health practitioner, working with folks, trying to help um, alleviate stress, so much anxiety and depression. And, uh, I'm feeling better just having her around. <laughs> Good. So um, one of the things that I've found that um, has been somewhat limiting is that um, people try to change the way they're thinking about things so they'll feel better, and yet sometimes significant change just doesn't manifest. And I've been really drawn to some of the work of um, Greg Braden and some of the best minds, I think, around that are exploring some different ways of maybe uh, mm. bringing a little more impact to what we can do with the stress that's everywhere now planetary we see it every day in the newspaper mm -hmm. and so um, it seems to me that I think in nature where there's a poisonous plant usually there's the antidote real it's very close usually but if you don't know that you don't know that and so what I've come to find helpful is that um, some of the studies done by uh, Heart Math Institute, um, where they've done clinical, um, been able to find out clinically what's happening with a certain kind of harmony that can happen between the brain and the heart. Coherence happens, and all of a sudden, amazing chemistry, healing chemistry can be, our bodies can be bathed mm. in them. And um, so when we're in fight or flight stress, our bodies can't heal. They can't, the immune functioning will not occur. So we have to get out of that. How do you do that? And mm -hmm. so one of the techniques that you mentioned, the heart um, consciousness exercise, is so simple. It's kind of an inner technology it's been described as that's available to all of us. And maybe what some of the ancient teachings have shown us and now science can actually measure the impact. So, um, is that all right if I share that with you now, the, the technique? Sure, Okay, you so, so simple. Uh, step one is you bring your attention to your heart, place your hand over your heart center, slow your breathing, and then, while doing that, um, experience in your heart, um, care for anything or anyone, compassion, appreciation, or gratitude. And as we hold that, we not only heal ourselves or have the potential for that, um, we send that out to the planet. Well, let's do that right now. I've got the Beatles, All You Need Is Love in the background here, so let's do that. Okay. So if you folks uh, are not driving or operating heavy machinery or a car, uh, please take part in this, okay? And uh, all you folks over at Open Harvest and uh, One More Time and the fun businesses around, you can do this too. So here we go. So I want to invite you to bring your attention to your heart by placing your hand, palm, over the center of it. And now slow your breathing. Take a few slow, deep breaths. 
And as you're doing this, experience in your heart, care for anyone or anything, appreciation, gratitude, and compassion. Hold this feeling for a few minutes. want to sing along <laughs> so in addition to this what's called a coherence harmonizing marrying the heart and the brain um, I also am fascinated by the Maharishi effect that um, are you familiar with that Scott yes I am okay so um, what has been found that Maharishi brought uh, transcendental meditation to the West and um, they have done now studies with people that were able to hold love in their hearts just as we practiced here. And they've measured the impact of that on various cities. And um, they found that when people were trained to do this, um, crime rates plummeted like up to 47, 48% in these big cities. Yeah, I've read those statistics. And, and also there were some things done in Iraq too where battles were canceled things just miraculously changed while these folks were doing this sending this love so what I think sounds like a good idea for our community <clears throat> since this is the equinox um, we could it, the formula actually there's a formula for how many people it takes to create a threshold of change and it's the square root of 1% of a population not being a mathematician I found out through a friend that um, that is 54.8 folks. I guess that means 55. Mm -hmm. But so 55 people in our community coming together with love could change the world. So why not tonight? And of course, the time of the equinox, interestingly enough, is 8:54, and if it takes 54.8 folks, well. Why not? Interesting. So tonight at uh, 8.54, that's the official uh, mm -hmm. start? Or yes, or you could start into this wonderful space and be in that place of appreciation, gratitude. Yeah, they just started just a couple minutes ago. Yes, they did. <laughs> okay, and this is something that you can do as a, as a refresher anytime that you, anytime. That you wish. Yes. And uh, you'll join millions of people all over the world in doing so. Marianne, thank you so much for coming down today and being with us here. Thank you, Scott. And happy autumnal equinox. Same to you. Okay, uh, let's uh, take our break here. Okay, let's do that. And we'll be right back then with uh, our special guest, Lynn Robinson, the author of Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. And thanks to the Beatles and Marianne Baskin, indeed, all you need is love. We'll be right back after this. She's been spinning a web, and you can't wait to be caught. 
from our band Enigma. You'll catch them all over southeast Nebraska. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Congratulations to our friends Lon and Mary for an 18th wedding anniversary. And uh, I just told uh, my friend Jim that at my daughter's house, the brick patio and brick sidewalk was actually done and laid by Lon Ansel. So Lon and Mary, you guys have a fun weekend and many, many more good weekends. Well, let's see here. We've got Paula Harris coming up next week. We'll be talking about uh, some of her fact-finding, her travels all over the world, and some of the speakers coming up at the Starworks USA UFO Symposium. Two weeks from today, we've got Dr. Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart, and our program theme is the University of Heaven. Three weeks from today is Prema Lee Gary. Your sacred wealth code. Unlock your soul blueprint for purpose and prosperity. Our good friend Carol Fleet joins us October 20th. Loss is a four-letter word. A bereavement boot camp for the widowed. And a vivacious, intelligent person. What We always look forward to uh, conversations with Carol. I'm setting up a special program October 27th of ghost stories, and we're lining up guests as, as we speak to you, so that will be a fun program. November 3rd, I'll be broadcasting live from the Starworks USA UFO Symposium at the Aquarius Casino and Resort in Laughlin, Nevada. And I have no idea who I'm going to have on the show. That all happens when I actually get off the plane and... and drive to Laughlin and start to start mixing and meeting folks. November 10th, we've got William Hall and Jimmy Petanito. Their brand new book, Phantom Messages, chilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts 
from unknown realms. Our good friend Paul Blake Smith joins us November 17th, JFK and the Willard Hotel Plot. November 24th, Trish and Rob McGregor, their brand new book, Secrets of Spirit Communication, Techniques for Tuning In and Making Contact. Those are just some of the guests that we've got coming up here on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. But let's talk about our main guest today. Let's talk about Lynn Robinson. She's the author of an earlier book that was called Coming Out of Your Psychic Closet, How to Unlock Your Naturally Intuitive Self. And the brand new book that she has written is about the end times for individuals uh, and their caregivers, their family, and what happens during the dying process as well as how to understand that our connection with those people that are dying, because we're all going to take that route sometime, aren't we? That connection continues even beyond death. Thus the title of her brand new book, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. Let's welcome to the program our first-time guest, Lynn Robinson. Hi, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning to you, and thank you for allowing me to chat with you and your listeners. Lynn, where do we find you this morning? <laughs> I'm in Mobile, Alabama. And how is Alabama doing today? Is it? I know it can still be very hot down here. We had down in the 40s last night. Uh, that's wintertime weather for us. It's probably, it'll probably be up in the low 90s today. Probably humid too, huh? Oh, sure. We're on the Gulf Coast. Yeah, did you do okay with the hurricane? Oh, we had none of this year's hurricane. So far, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't want to say never because the Gulf of Mexico gets a lot of hurricanes. Yes. But that one was on the Atlantic, so... We did not get that. Okay, stay safe down there. Uh, this book was uh, many, many years in the making, Lynn. Yes. And the book Loving to the End and On was indeed quite a few years in the making. It developed slowly and took its own course. As um, At some point, I almost felt as though it was writing me rather than I was writing it. Mm-hmm. So many things unfolded in in the process and took me away from the initial impetus for the book. The initial impetus, do you want to hear about that? I want to hear about anything that you have to say. This is <laughs> just like we're having conversation and a cup of coffee, and we can go any place we want to, Lynn. Well, inter interrupt me at any time. If you think what I'm saying may not interest you or your listeners, just butt right on in. It's It's... The way we live, so, you know, don't worry about that. But it's, essentially, I'll try to make it brief. A friend of mine who was a dean of nursing asked if I would teach an online course about near-death experiences. I am not a near-deather, but I have facilitated a local group for 12 or 13 years because I feel a connection to those, those people because um, for most of my life, folks who are no longer in their physical bodies find a way to talk to me or send messages to their loved ones 
um, that's been a, a long time in developing and for me to, you know, recognize it because I, on the other hand, am a very practical person with bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. in business. So just, you know, so your listeners will see that there's this mm-hmm. strange mix. But at any rate, so the friend of mine who's the dean of nursing asked me to teach a course, and I said, sure, I'll do that. But I had to take a course in how to teach an online course, um, having been an emeritus for some years away from campus. And so we developed it, and and she eventually took it uh, to her dean and then, or I'm sorry, the vice president who for whom she reported. And then I had to have my credentials made um, worthy by the School of Nursing, and of course they were, and I didn't, you know, I had no physiology courses, et cetera, so she said, we can't do it, and I said, well, that's okay, let's just make it into a course about management for nurses, and all of the examples will be NDEs, and she said, great idea, so I worked on that for a while, and she took it again to the vice president, and he looked at it all and said, well, the credentials work, but but, 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 but we, we just can't do this because she might talk about talking to dead people. <laughs> she might talk, oh, jeez. And that was the end of the course. So so my friend was very apologetic about that, and I said, don't worry about it. I'll just turn it into a book. But then the book took on a life of its own, and I think wove itself to be appropriate for our times right now as the baby boomers, who are actually younger than I am, are uh, beginning to die in great numbers. So we have... Um, aging deaths in greater numbers than we had for a while and of course we've had so much war in the world and as you said earlier everyone eventually dies and the book took took on a tone of let's take a look at death and see the beautiful things that happen which are the last acts of living and how we relate to one another during those last acts of living and let's take a look at the care that is given a cousin of mine who is really a renowned cardiologist lives in a different part of the country uh, has read the book and has sent me some things since he read it and and uh, sent me a paper that he wrote 40 years ago on what he calls Buen um, Mortasia. I'm not sure that I've pronounced it correctly, but uh, which means good death. And how he has recently written a little bit more about that because... We have so many people living to be so much older that we need to take a look about at, at how people die. And and that's a topic a lot of people don't want to deal with. I understand that. And I've had feedback from some people who said, Lynn, I love you and I really wanted to read your book because you wrote it, but I didn't want to read it because of the topic. And now that I've read it, I'm glad that I did. Well, let's. I, I want to explore that uh, with you a little bit. We seem in the Western world, Lynn, to have this love-hate relationship with death. At some points, we're attracted to the topic, and it can be a major buzzword in motion pictures and themes like that. But there's also a reluctance, sometimes a repulsion, of the topic. Um, Jim Morrison from The Doors said, no one here gets out alive. And that's... (laughs) true for everybody. Uh, I wonder why we have at times this fascination and at times we want to run as fast as we can away from the topic. 
Well, I, I think we can divide the reasons into several categories. One is we're afraid of how we're going to die. Is it going to be painful? Is it going to stretch on? Um, another is, depending on um, the uh, religious or philosophical uh, teachings to which we're attracted, we, we wonder if we're going to be judged in some way, um, if we're going to have to pay for things that may have been unthoughtful towards others. Um, so I think that's another reason that people avoid the topic. Um, and um, I think we just put a lot more emphasis on birth and growth and life than on the final act of living. And I, I really, and I picked that up in my reading, the idea, as I was writing this book and collecting uh, information for the book, that many of us don't think of dying as our final act of living and how we're going to do it mm-hmm. and what do we want it to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Scott Colborn. Our special guest is Lynn Robinson. And Lynn has written a new book called Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. Her website is her first and last name, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Robinson, that's S-O-N, Robinson.com. Scott, I need to correct you. It's Lynn B. Robinson. Thank you. You know what? My printer ink cartridge had faded, and I printed this announcement off last night for my show notes. So that web address is very, very faint, and my eyes missed that B, and I'm glad you did. Folks, it's Lynn B, that's as an ABC, LynnBRobinson.com. So other, other societies around the world, uh, death is part of that whole dance of life. It's not separated. I know that uh, our Native American friends have a different view of, of death. I believe it was Crazy Horse that said, uh, today is a good day to die. Uh, and so we try to live lives that we distance ourselves from that, and yet it's something that is with us on, a, on some level every single day. We may have thoughts about our own mortality, our own aging, we may have um, responsibilities to parents or to siblings that are going through that that dying process. And so I can see how your book hopefully will reach a number of people that may be curious about the dying process and without being shallow or sugary to literally make the best of it in a holistic way that they can. How would you set out to to write the book then in terms of the different chapters and and the continuity? Um, Again, the book pretty much developed on its own, but but I decided that it needed to be personal as versus pure research. As I just told you, I I have a doctorate in a very practical subject. So, you know, I'm a trained 
person when it comes to gathering information, data, research. But when it comes to, and there's a lot of information out there that's been carefully researched by now, in the last 10 years, by some, some nurses and physicians. And it just felt right to me to tell stories. So the first the very first chapter is about one of my dearest friends um, who's now gone, and I get mad at her all the time because she's not <laughs> here. And, yes, I, I have heard from her twice but um, since she died, but, well, maybe three times, actually. But it, it's not the same. Um, we'll come back to that. But um, So the personal stories for me were a vehicle to make it real for other people, and I, I have to inject here that it has. I am so excited that I have heard from several readers saying that they feel free to tell their stories for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was the telling of the stories and doing the research to back it up and telling stories that I read during the research, just little brief instances that give people an idea of how to find their own stories and uh, what, which ones really make a difference to them and enjoy them. And that's another way to stay in touch. If you, there are going to be people, I don't know about listening to your show, because the people who are listening to your show probably think it's, this is all okay and it really does happen, but they may have friends who don't. And so in, in talking to their friends, it's good to give them an option of how to think about it. And if you only want to think about contact as being something that was in your imagination, do it. You'll still feel close to that person. Mm-hmm. You'll still feel like they're, mm-hmm. they're right there in your heart. They don't have to have the sort of thing that I did. I, I mentioned in the book how you, you mentioned Native American friends, and I've been fortunate to go to a few invited um, instances on, on other subjects, not on death, with um, some Native American groups. But I mentioned a friend of mine who was a South American shaman. He was also a consultant to the Smithsonian. And the night that he died, I awakened about 2 o'clock in the morning, sensing him in my room. He had been a guest in our home at one point with his wife, who's also a Peruvian shaman. And I just sensed him in the room, and, and, and I looked at the clock to see what time it was in the morning. I said something to my husband about, did you have a sense? And he doesn't do this like I do. And he said no. And I said, well, I did. I just felt like he was here saying hi. And later in the morning when I turned to the commuter and checked the emails, I had an email saying that he had died about the time I had sensed him in the room. Mm-hmm. And my hunch is that he let his presence be known simultaneously. From taking this top-of-the-hour break, uh, you and I know what the near-death experience is. Can we talk about that, uh, a kind of a working definition for a listening audience? Sure. Be happy to. This is Lynn B. Robinson. She's the author of the brand new book, Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible. And it's a very, very valuable book, ladies and gentlemen, because it's written very personally. You can read the stories, both Lynn's personal stories, as well as the stories that she's collected in the book. Now, as we were talking, Lynn, I just handed the book to my producer, Jim, And I said, Jim, look at this. And in the back of the book, there's a segment on movies Mm -hmm. and documentary films that talk about the near death, the death experience, and receiving information from our departed loved ones. 
And that list alone is just amazing. It makes me want to go to uh, wherever they go to now for movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I've seen exactly one of the movies on on this list, but so uh, it's going to be a fun catching well, up. Well, I didn't know that one of the ones I hadn't seen, The Green Mile, it was on a few nights ago, and I thought about watching it, but ended up watching something else instead. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe this is my hint that I should seek that movie out. Folks, stay tuned. We've got a lot more to talk about with <clears throat> our special guest, Lynn B. Robinson. I'm sure glad you're out there. I'm Scott Colborne with Jim Shorney and Lynn Robinson. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Hi dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. In just a matter of about two weeks we're 34 years old how about that folks no celebration planned we're just gonna no cake no cake i might bring some donuts down donuts would be good yeah yeah sure some good coffee and donuts Mm -hmm. and some great guests our guest this morning is one of those this is lynn b robinson making her first appearance on the show and, Lynn, before the break, we talked about maybe offering a definition of what the near-death experience is. Yes, the near-death experience occurs when a person loses vital signs of, of brain and heart and other uh, vital functions and is declared dead, has what uh, in the vernacular has flatlined, and then for some reason is resuscitated 
comes back into the body. And many of those people now are telling what they feel, see, and hear um, while those in, if they're in the operating room or wherever they happen to be, think that the person has died. And it occurs, it can occur, you know, in a wreck by the road, and, and there are people there trying to resuscitate someone. And um, the stories do differ. Sometimes they say they're up high and they can see things. Sometimes they say they're right there standing by the people. But the point is they are, their consciousness is no longer in the physical body and the physical body is not showing signs of life, at least the signs that we have that are measurable today. Mm -hmm. And And it makes us wonder about consciousness, doesn't it? Well, it does. I have to remind you, though, because I, I, a lot of people maybe have never lived anywhere near rural anything. And I remember stories of people who were buried in pine coffins, um, you know, and uh, buried in the ground, and there would be sticks with a bell. And if the cemetery keepers heard a bell ring, they dug up the coffin, and frequently the person was alive. So that was a near-death experience. Of course, the measurements of death were not as precise, and um, I'm sure there were mistakes that were made and, uh, according to today. But what's it going to be, you know, 30 years from now? We don't know. But mm-hmm. at any rate, I just had to put that in because this isn't really new. It's just that we've had a way to, to measure and to gather stories and to verify some of the stories. My... Uh, uh Late deceased friend, Dr. Webster Robbins, um, taught at uh, UNL here in Lincoln, uh, and uh, philosophy was his, his subject. And Webster and I were friends, and he'd had at least one near-death experience. And in somewhat of a joking yet serious vein, he argued, and he said, it's not near death, it's a death experience. <laughs> yeah, is, he's not the only one who says that. It's a death experience. Right. So we, we have information from these people that go through, not, not everybody experiences it, but some do. So we have that information that some part of ourselves, consciousness perhaps, continues despite the shutting down of the physical body. And then we have people that are gifted in ways that maybe the rest of us aren't, who get information from people, departed loved ones, that is valid, factual information. Uh, And you identified yourself earlier as being one of those people. Now, folks, we're not talking about a platitude like Aunt Doris, who died 10 years ago, came through me and says that she's fine and you're fine and and we're all fine but some of this is very specific that would not have been known by the person being used as that communicator am am i correct lynn that's correct and i find go ahead i find those reports really intriguing um i had uh, an association years ago with the folks the guggenheims that wrote the book, Hello from Heaven. Yes. And based upon a personal experience in their family, they began collecting these reports and got up 
over 3,000 cases of after-death communication, and then they said there's a real phenomena taking place. So do you think this is more widespread than society uh, admits to? Yes, I certainly do. Um, and I think um, that that it's um, the sort of thing that because our society has said, no, this can't be possible, that as I was saying at the very start of the show, that some people are reticent to talk about it and to tell others of their experiences. But I think it happens a lot. Um, I'm working on an, an article now um, about a friend of mine who, who had two brothers who had died, and, and um, she was really worried about them, and she felt as though she had communicated with her mother for years through the smell of her perfume, and she asked her mom mm -hmm. for help. You know, tell me they're okay, and um, she smelled her mother's perfume at a weird time and a different time, a different place than usual, and it was dur during the night, and, and he, she awakened and went in another room and started reading, and as she was reading, even though she couldn't concentrate very well, she heard a crash, she looked across the room, and a picture of her mother had fallen on the floor. <laughs> she took that as the only way her mother could say things are okay. Now, mm -hmm. the true skeptic would say, oh, that's ridiculous. A, you know, a picture just fell. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I'm trying to say in this book. I don't care. Interpret it any way you want. It was very soothing to this person. Mm -hmm. It was very helpful to her. Yeah. On the other hand, there are things that people have a really hard time explaining. Um, dogs howl when their owners die somewhere else. So many stories of men killed in combat, and now women too, but I mean, these stories go back generations. And a dog will howl and howl, and nobody can calm them down for a while. And, you know, then depending on whether it was telegraph, telephone, now, you know, a text message, uh, when it comes, the information says such and such died at such and such time, and it was at the time the dog was howling. Similar things happen with clocks. They stop at the time of death. There's a story in, in the book about a family where that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know someone else who just, since reading the book, said, I had one of those clock things happen in my family. Mm -hmm. That the person's mother died four states away. The clock stopped. They had a phone call shortly thereafter saying, your mother died at such and such a time, and it was the exact time that the clock stopped, and no one has ever been able to get that clock to start again. Hmm. Yeah, I was so with... So there are these ways that communication occurs, and it doesn't mean that someone talks to you, though I do get literal word messages. I also get a lot of things in pictures, and I pass on what those pictures are, I don't try to interpret them because they may mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. For instance, we had pink roses on my mother's casket, so pink roses to me might remind me of the sadness of my, of my mother's funeral. On the other hand, somebody else may have sent 
given pink roses to their first girlfriend, or you may have been the girlfriend who got the pink roses, and it signifies first love. So I'm, I'm very careful if I have to do symbology as versus words um, to not try to interpret what the symbols mean. Or I'll say it means this to me. It may have a totally different meaning to you. Um, I think there's a lot of communication that goes on uh, between those of us in physical bodies and um, intelligence that is not necessarily in a physical body. Mm -hmm. There's a segment of your book that um, you lay out uh, for people how to get prepared or be prepared as best one can, um, both for a person going through the dying process as well as family and support people. And um, I think successfully you make a persuasive argument throughout your book that there are good ways to do this and not so good ways. Um, I think we are slowly evolving so that we look at the dying experience a little bit differently from what we used to. It used to be that people would go into a nursing home or a hospital and it was sort of all up to the clinicians and they were the people that pronounced the next move, what we should do, and it was sort of just a waiting game. Uh, and now people like yourselves are encouraging people to be more and more involved with loving to the end and beyond. Uh, I was so fortunate, Lynn, to have been with my mother uh, when she passed. Uh, and we knew that it was um, the end of her life. She uh, had entered a hospice and was being cared for, uh, given excellent care by a nursing home here in Lincoln. So I was spending most of my days uh, and a lot of my nights with her. And I had been reading from a book and um, stroking her hand. There was a point during that late afternoon, early evening where suddenly mom sat straight up in bed, opened her eyes, and she looked towards the, what would have been a wall in front of her about maybe 10 feet away and she had this beautiful radiant expression on her face and she held her arms and hands up. And I looked and I couldn't see anything and I said, Mom, do you, are you seeing some friends or, or loved ones? Are they here with us? And my mother was legally blind, but she turned to my voice, turned towards me with this wonderful, beautiful smile and she nodded her head and then she sank back down in the bed, and it was probably several hours later that when she passed. So I'm so grateful to have had that experience. And I am so grateful that you shared it. And there are so many similar stories to that. It, it's, and there are a couple in the book um, of uh, people, uh, one gentleman who introduced a nurse he said, you'll have to leave now because they've come to get me. <laughs> and, and she 
said, oh, really? And she was sensitive, and she said, well, and, and who are they? She didn't say, nobody's here, which is what some people do, unfortunately. She said, oh, really? And who is that? And he said, well, let me introduce you. And he sort of put his hand out and said, this is my wife, who was deceased, by the way. And then he stretched his hand further and said, and this is their Lord and Savior. And he was someone of, of uh, a Christian faith. And... Um, the nurse said, well, thank you for introducing me. And she went down the hall to the nursing station to enter some information on uh, about his condition, checked on him 15 minutes later, and he had indeed left. He's gone. He had died. He was no longer in his physical body. And there are other stories like that in the book also. I, I love the fact that some people talk about um, a limousine has come to get them and the yes. driver has appeared or one of them said uh, that uh, Jesus had come to get him in a white pickup truck mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of um, the irony of that description is it is just is very amusing to me you know conflating time periods etc so so that but, but yes and the fact that you accepted what she said is just so wonderful and and I would say that to all of your listeners rather than contradict, which a lot of people still do, like, oh, Mom, it's just you and me. Um, Allow them to have this this wonderful thought, idea, or true experience. Um, You know, I I say it in that way so that whoever is listening, it it is what it is for you and it is what it is for the loved one who is dying, and allow them, Mm -hmm. especially in these instances of beauty, to own the beauty. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, I had a couple of books um, that were near and dear to me about uh, the near-death experience, about um, messages and information from loved ones. And um, before and after mom's passing, I made sure that the staff at this nursing home had copies of that. Uh, oh, how hope, wonderful. Hoping they would just, you know, pass those books around and... Uh, I suspect that if we had the chance, Lynn, to get... Um, healthcare professionals that do a lot of their work around people that are dying. And we got them into a room where they were free to talk without ridicule, without fear of their job being in any way, shape, or form impinged or jeopardized. I would bet we would get story after story from these very people that day by day... Think of the hospice workers, such as yourself, such as others that are with this on almost a daily basis as the days and weeks and months and years go by. Uh, Carol is a friend of mine that I haven't seen for quite a while. And years and years ago, she had entered the hospice field and I'd lost touch with her and I saw her. She had this beautific smile on her face and she said, today I attended my 1,000s passing. She'd been with a 1,000 people who had crossed over. Right. Wow. It, it can be truly amazing. I've been a hospice war, uh, volunteer, mm-hmm. and I don't think I've actually been bedside. I, sometimes I'm there until family comes so that no one dies alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when family comes, then they frequently want privacy. 
uh, which is, is true. And in one instance, the family uh, hadn't been able to get there. They were in a different state. And uh, the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was the, the woman's sister. And I said, I would love to put the phone to your sister's ear so you can talk to her. Hearing is the last thing to go, and I'm not convinced that it's physical hearing that is still in place so much as the capacity to hear even out of the body as one is dying. I don't, I can't prove that one way or the other. It's just a hunch. Um, so she was able to talk to her sister, and I was able to tell her the, you know, changes in facial expression and so forth. And that, too, was um, a very gratifying thing for me. Mm-hmm. But I also love being able to deliver messages after people have left their physical bodies or while they're in process, which, as you mentioned, is uh, spelled out pretty clearly in, in the first chapter in uh, that experience. How do you go about doing that? Is, is, the, is the reception of the message from that departing or departed loved one, is that, does that just come to you? Is it something that somehow you do some psychic yogic push-ups to achieve? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I love Lynn. that. Yeah. How does what what happens in that process? Sometimes it just happens, but in in the instance of going back to to be with the husband of my friend, um, the one who was clearly um, in in times, um, I it, I've learned to feel it. Somehow in in my consciousness, I, it's almost like changing channels so that I was aware of what was going on in the room, but I've opened a space in my consciousness to allow communication if it occurs. Sometimes it just happens. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to say something so badly, it's just there. Other times, I it, it's as though I have to clear consciousness of the static of the kind of conversation you and I are having now and push out of my uh, awareness the um, the space that I'm in and the noises of that time. It's like, it's, and for people, anybody who has studied a lot, sometimes when you're studying, you have to shut out sight and sound of anything but what you're focusing on. Yes. It's kind of like that. And so then that is that space is is available to me at the same time if I inadvertently have that space open and something comes through that is annoying or upsetting to me, I can shut it off. Before we go to the bottom of the hour break here, Lynn, tell tell the story about the slippers. Uh, oh, about the slippers? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a friend who, uh, by the way, has a Ph.D., and as did her husband. And um, I... I mentioned she she came over to the house. She doesn't live here, and we were talking about things. She brought me something to hold so that I got sort of a vibration, and I I simply asked her about slippers, and she couldn't remember anything. And then when she went home, um, she opened the closet door and saw some slippers she had given to her recently deceased husband, and remembered then you know that as a reference, and she kept finding that door open and seeing the slippers, <laughs> and she'd close the door and go about her business, and the door would be open again. And so because she is open to the possibility that that was communication, she's pretty well convinced. Mm-hmm. And there's another story about the same couple, though it may not be clear in the book, and it doesn't matter to me if it is or not, but um, where 
where a graduate student of theirs um, had told him hello as he walked past the graduate student's office, not knowing that uh, he had died. And oh, yes. And went to, to say something to the wife who, who kept seeing her husband's slippers about having seen him. And, mm-hmm. and, and he had mentioned that to another graduate student who said, but, but he, he died three days ago. The guy didn't know it. Until after he had seen him walking past his office. Mm-hmm. What, one of the stories that I've told on the show uh, is my own personal, I call it a ghost story. I was out in Estes Park, Colorado in 2007 with my children, staying in a very modern, wonderful cabin uh, on a slope outside of Estes. And it was about our fourth night there. Uh, we'd done tourist things, sightseeing, eating out, uh, lots of fun stuff. And that night, about 10 o'clock at night, my son and I were in the living room. My daughter was in a rear bedroom down the hallway. And uh, I looked up from the book I was reading to say something to my son, uh, lift, lifting my head up and turning my head to look at him. I saw coming down the hallway towards me um, a male figure that wore, wore a uh, plaid flannel shirt, blue jeans, uh, black hair, a black, um, somewhat scraggly beard, um, sort of uh, chukka boots on, uh, maybe 6'2", fairly tall, thin, and he took about three steps towards me coming down the hallway, and then he turned and went in the bathroom. And Lynn, I thought for a minute that we had an intruder, even though as, as dad and the, the warrior of the hearth, I had already locked the doors and, you know, made the security suite through the, the cabin. So I jumped up thinking that some guy had gotten in <laughs> and I went to the bathroom and there was nobody there. Yep. I have a, a story uh, similar, if you'd like to hear it. When I, I was doing some consulting work for uh, a company in Maryland and with the top uh, six or so executives, and we were doing it at a resort. Um, and I had gone to bed for the night and was awakened by a noise and looked up and saw a woman walking down a staircase in my room. The staircase physically didn't exist, but I could see her long white nightgown hair, long plaited in the back, and she was carrying a candle. And it occurred to me, this is a woman from a whole different generation, mm-hmm. um, the, the, you know, her attire, etc. And so I just thought, okay, I'll just go back to sleep. So I did. And later, same thing. The third time that this woman awakened me, I said loudly, I don't say it, know if I said it out loud or just in my mind or both, mm-hmm. I said, could you please just go to bed and let me get some sleep too? And I never saw her again. The next morning, I was looking at some stuff in the lobby of the hotel and found that this brick edifice in which I was staying had originally been a two-story wooden facility with a staircase and that they had had a fire and that destroyed um, that building, which mm-hmm. is why they had built the modern building. So my assumption was I had a visitor from, you know, bef- when, the, when the hotel had been the structure that I, that I saw when I was awakened. But, but she didn't frighten me because... Um, because I am who I am and have had the experiences that I've had. 
So, yeah, that, that's, you know, you and I have both had those experiences. My hunch is a lot of your listeners may have also had experiences oh, yes. like that. Uh, and, and let's talk about uh, either having an experience like this or reading a book like yours with these accounts and how we go about perceiving and integrating those without some of the boogeymen warnings that jump into our minds from either our upbringing, from our religion, from our, our culture that we're in, uh, that says basically if we don't understand something, it's got to be negative, bad, it's got to be evil, it's the devil trying to tempt us. Let's talk a little bit about that when we come back. This is Lynn B. Robinson and her book, Loving to the End and On. Her website is her first name, middle initial, and last name. It's lynnbrobinson.com. I hope you're enjoying the broadcast. We've got more coming up after this. Jim Shorney's over here. Yes, I am. And Jim, I'm enjoying the Jack Reacher coffee mm-hmm. and the conversation as, with Dr. Robinson. As am I. Folks, stay tuned for more conversation. This will give you a chance to fill your cup as well as mine. We'll be back with more exploring unexplained phenomena right after this. Hi dudes and dudettes, it's Carol Griswold from Women's Blues and Boogie on your community radio station, 89.3 FM, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Lincoln Calling celebrates 15 years, bringing dozens of nationally touring and local performers to stages around downtown, including The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. It's all happening this week in Lincoln. Celebrate our diverse city that has supported community radio for 40 years this year. KZUM's Arts and Culture Festival runs 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday, September 29th at Antelope Park. With local vendor booths, food trucks, art, and live music by Sidewalk Chop. The Derailers. 23rd Vibration. Verse in the Vices. Adam Soul Music and Paddywhack. Join us for this free celebration of the community, September 29th at Antelope Park. Find out more at kzum.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. 
I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. from the local band Enigma. Catch them around Southeast Nebraska. They're our official theme music for the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena radio show. Next week's guest is Paula Harris. We'll be talking about some of her travels. She talks a lot with people that uh, have been deemed contactees in regards to the UFO mystery. Our special guest this morning has been Lynn B. Robinson the author of Loving to the End and On. And Lynn, uh, I'm not trying to typecast you in terms of living in Alabama as being in the heart of the Bible Belt, but you and I certainly have many friends. I myself am a Presbyterian, uh, and how, how can we reconcile our personal beliefs with these stories that are remarkable? Well... Maybe for those people who are raised in that tradition, they can concentrate on the stories of angels coming to talk to people. Uh, maybe we've too narrowly defined who an angel or what an angel is. Uh, maybe we need to think in terms of some people are saints without having been so designated by a church. And maybe we need to think that um, all of us are simply brothers and sisters under underneath it all, and what one can do, another can do, um, and not let authority figures designate for us who can communicate and who can't. Yeah, I've I've always thought, Lynn, that it's us always trying to put our limited understanding on God and his, her ability to do things. And I think that if God <laughs> wants to do things like phenomena and have people that are departed to interact with us, um, I think it's only us that tries to limit that. Uh, oh, I totally agree with you. And what's to, to keep us from thinking that God also chooses to act through us? Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, and the proof, I think, is always in the message, in the way that it, it resonates with people. Uh, when these messages uh, primarily of hope um, come through, I find, if anything, it deepens faith in the recipient. It doesn't push them away from a belief in God. I doubt very very strongly that it's a demonic ruse trying to shift people and their allegiance away from uh, either Jesus or God. I doubt that very much. I think the demonic ruse may be more 
likely the fear of mortals themselves and their relationship with each other. Uh, I had one person who called me from Louisiana to ask to come to our local uh, IONS group here that I've told you I facilitate, and uh, he had been a minister um, of a fundamentalist church, in fact, had preached in various places in a number of countries, not just in the United States, and after his near-death experience, his conception of God and what God wanted of him was much broader than it had previously been. Good. And he had trouble with some of the members of his family. Um, they, as you were just talking, were afraid that he was harmed in some way. Um, so he, they distanced themselves from him. The church no longer wanted him to preach, and he was really at wit's end, and occasionally he would call, and, and he was so sweet, bless his heart. He'd say, you know, I'm so sorry to call you, but I just need someone I can talk to. He had no one there. So we, we would talk about it. Eventually, he um, sought training as a hospice chaplain, and that became his new profession. Mm, wonderful. So he continued in his role as a religious leader of sorts, but but as a hospice chaplain who was open to all faiths and helping anyone regardless of their faith and their end times. And I, I think maybe that's illustrative of how to move beyond or, or climb on top of your fear, and, because that's exactly what he had to do. I've had uh, other guests on the show, Lynn, that say that some of the myths of deathbed visions are that when a person in the dying process says that there are individuals in the room that nobody else can see or they're hearing uh, voices, choirs, music, etc. that nobody can, can, can hear, that it's all because of the uh, drugs. It's because of um, brains being deprived of oxygen. It's because of uh, and the people that that I've talked to say that that this is not true because these reports come from people that are on no medication as well as people that are medicated for pain relief yeah I agree and I'm sure there are instances where drugs do strange things but that doesn't account for all of the stories which is what you just said and one of my favorite expressions i think and it's early in the book is just for the moment suspend your disbelief mm -hmm. and i think that is so helpful when you're dealing with someone who is in the dying process and yes. tells you that they they're hearing symphonic music my heavens how gorgeous why would anyone want to take that experience away mm -hmm. and say oh no it's just the drugs well, let's let's talk let's talk about that. Let's just imagine that um, we've got people in our listening audience that have friends or relatives going through this dying process. Um, let's talk about some do's and don'ts. Well, the, the, the do's that I am really hooked on are, are the ones of being there with them, uh, holding their hand. Um, 
singing their their favorite songs with them. Or there was I love a little story in the book where a, a granddaughter told me about being with her grandmother who loved. Now, this woman was 103 or 104, and this is just a couple of years ago that this happened. And she had loved Elvis Presley. Sure. And so they were playing Elvis Presley gospel music as she was lying there dying. And they were all assembled around her, knowing that she was dying, playing Elvis Presley gospel music. And she lifted her hands up and put her fingers up and started keeping time to the music. (laughs) (laughs) And just a few minutes later was gone. So the thing is, what would you do for somebody if you really loved them? Would you insist on having everything you want, or would you give them what you know that they love and that they want? I tell the story of my own grandmother in in the last few months of her life, and the people who were taking care of her said, you know, we can't get her to eat right. All she wants is chocolate and bananas. And we said, give her chocolate and bananas. (laughs) Sounds like a good plan to me. Exactly. So if you can get, maybe people react out of their own fear instead of putting the fear aside and saying, what works for this person I love? What can I provide for the person I love that is meaningful for them? And if it's saying, Oh, I'm so glad you hear that music. I don't hear that music, but I'm glad you can if you if you even need to tell them you don't hear it. If they I would say this, if they ask you be honest, I, I don't you know, do you hear and they'd say no, but you know, if can you tell me about it? And if they can still talk, they will. Uh sometimes they'll squeeze your hand when you don't think that they have a squeeze left in them, so to speak. Um I, some of my friends, you know, talk about climbing in bed with the one they know is dying and just snuggling up to them. They're going to feel that. And if they're no longer in their physical bodies, there will be an awareness that your body is there and that you care and that you love them mm-hmm. because they, they'll they feel it and see it. So that's what I would say mm-hmm. is be with them where they are and give them that gift. It's like, you know, you give people birthday gifts, give them a departure gift. Be where they are. Be happy with their experience with them. Uh, be, be a part of the process. Um, yeah. It's, you know, the old days were that people would wait out in a room, a waiting room, and uh, a nurse or a doctor would come out and say, you know, they're gone. They passed. Right. So... Boy, that's not the way I want to go. Yeah, I agree with that up to a point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I've I had I've had a couple of people since reading the book say to me, I, I just couldn't be in the room. I could not handle it. I could not be there for that last death, that last breath. And hmm. you know, in thinking about that, then then leave because you don't want the person dying to feel the tension, and they will understand. Uh, I even know of instances where people have stayed and stayed and then left to go home and get a bath or take a nap or whatever, and the person dies when they're gone. Mm -hmm. And frequently I think that is because the person leaving felt the need to leave when the loved one wasn't there. And I can't explain that, but it does happen. Mm. I mean, I can't say what's in the mind of the people, Mm -hmm. but... 
it's as though um, they don't want you to have to hear that last death rattle. I mean, I mean, if if you were there with your mother, you know that body parts begin to change color, mm-hmm. that breathing changes, that there are some physical signs that are not comfortable for everybody to notice, and that will create tension. And so it may be that the dying person wants to give their loved one the gift of not having to be there for that if they know that their loved one would be made truly uncomfortable, that, that they want to give them the gift of, of seeing them differently. So that's a possibility. My, my, not the same for everybody. Lynn, I'd like to have your comments, too. My, my takeaway from reading your book and being around this subject is that it's a uh, wonderful, incredible thing to realize that what is real about a person continues despite physical death. Yeah. That that should be a huge headline. Well, create one. Put, yeah. it, put well, it as a banner across your website. You and I have helped do that this morning. Lynn, we're at the end of the program, and I'd, I'd like to, as is my, my custom, I'd like to give you the metaphorical microphone here for a minute or two and have you speak to my audience about anything that you'd like to speak to them about. I would like to say thank you for listening. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for caring about this topic. Thank you for caring about people you love and being open to make the final act of living more exciting, more joyful, more loving than it might have been before listening to this program. And I would also like to say share the word. Tell your own stories. Be open with your friends and family. And make loving to the end and on and on and on possible for yourself and all the people you love. And well thank said. You. Well said. Lynn, thank you so much for taking time from your weekend schedule and your family to be with my radio audience. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Our guest this morning has been Lynn B. Robinson. Dr. Robinson is the author of Loving to the End and on a guide to the impossibly possible her website is lynnbrobinson.com and lynn is is your earlier book that was written in 94 is that still available well it's still available on websites that sell uh used books okay and I have, a, uh, I have a few copies that um, if you want to contact me through the contact page of my website, we might be able to, to I, I actually wouldn't even charge for the book, but I would need, you know, somebody to send postage or something. Um, um, the title is Coming Out of Your Psychic Closet, How to Unlock Your Naturally Intuitive Self. Ooh, I like that. Oh, it's a great title. <laughs> yeah. And it was published 20 years ago. Wow. So. It was sort of on the cutting edge then. (laughs) Lynn, thank you again for taking time. God bless you and your work. Thank you so much. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Thanks to Lynn Robinson for being our guest this morning.
We've got Victor with Mesoterra coming up here in just a matter of minutes. And look at that shirt he's got on. <laughs> I, I wish you guys out there could see this. Vic is really lighting up the room here. Speaking of lighting up the room, our guest next week is Paula Harris, and she always lights up any room that she's in. Um, I love Paula Harris. I love her approach. Uh, she is fearless in the people that she talks to. Um, some of her colleagues have said, oh, Paula, you shouldn't be talking to that person because you're going to be judged or typecast as blank, blank, blank. And she's an investigative journalist. She goes where the stories are. And she comes back and reports that. So we're always blessed by her appearance. She'll be talking about some of the speakers coming up at the uh, Starworks UFO Symposium in Laughlin, Nevada, November 2nd through the 4th. Paula will be with us next week. Um, we've had a beautiful, beautiful night in Lincoln. Temperatures down in the low 40s. Mm -hmm. Today, it's a wonderful, gorgeous day out there. I've got part of the afternoon free. I think I'm going to mow a lawn. I think that's the plan. Folks, whatever you do today, I hope you have a great day. And remember, at 8.54 tonight, that's the official time of the autumnal equinox here in the central time zone, 8.54 p.m., you can follow along with Marianne Baskin and thousands of folks and put your attention over your heart with either your hand or finger. Breathe. Bring people into that space that you love and hold dear. And hold that feeling and come together in the spirit of love. And with that, I'll say happy fall or autumnal equinox. I'm Scott Colborn. Until next week, walk in beauty.